Welcome to the Chosen Brew Beer Podcast. I'm your host, Ian McNally, and this is the podcast where guests talk the way through the six beers that changed everything. In this episode, I traveled to the town that Gold built, Ballarat. Here's Ed and Fiona from Dollar Bill Brewing. Let's get into it. I am sat here today on a sunny Friday afternoon in arguably Ballarat's finest craft beer venue called the Mallow in Skipton Street, just a short walk from the train station, and with me are two of the most exciting change makers in uh, Australian brewing at the moment. Welcome, Ed and Fiona. Thank you nice. very much. Is that fair to say? Is that too much weight to put on you at the early in this <laughs> podcast? Yeah, that you probably. Are? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, no, um, yeah we're, we're doing some interesting stuff. I think um, it's just, I don't know. We, we love what we do. So, well, what do you do? Dollar Bill isn't your uh, straightforward brewery. You know where you have that kind of formula where you bring out an IPA yep. or a pale ale, yep. you enter the market, then you might put a golden ale next to it, and then you might put a stout, and then you might put you know different releases to keep the interest. You're not quite doing that, are you? No, no. So we're, we're, we're gypsy brewing, and we're barrel-aging stuff, and we're releasing uh, quarterly sour beers, um, and a few in-between kind of releases as well. So it's, yeah, just we like what we do, and we um, like drinking what we make, so... Now, that's a good start. Yeah, <laughs> if you like always, what you actually do, helpful. it's quite nice. Yeah. But I feel like you're, you're underplaying kind of the, the length of time mm. and the effort that you have to put into your very, very small batch, aren't they? The kind yeah. of, what, three, yeah. 300 bottles a batch or something yeah, yeah. Uh, we, around that? We that's probably one of the smaller ones. Yeah. We run up around 1,200 on some of them. Um, they're always, you know, gone very quickly. We try and blend... Uh, beers that we have ready together so um, we, we focus on what we want to do uh, we trial brew it before we uh, put it into barrel uh, make sure we've got our yeasts and our malts and all our bits and pieces ready and then we put it into barrel and then we age it and then as our barrels become ready some will take longer than others um, but as we have barrels that come ready and, and look like they might be an interesting addition to a blend uh, we'll put them together and, and try and make a product and we try and make quarterly products uh, as big as we can make them. Um, we <laughs> have been making much uh, lately, but it's, um, yeah, we're, we're finding some momentum. So we'll get bigger and bigger and um, start blending larger portions. Um, we're trying to maintain a little bit of consistency over our products too. So we have a, a general, um, like, a, like a house flavour, um, but... Yeah, as we go, we'll get more and more blended and larger portions and bigger quantities and we'll test the market and see if we can introduce more uh, places into what we kind of do. So, Because what you're doing is uh, your strategy has to be so much different from your you know, more common brewery because what you're doing is over years, isn't it? You have to yeah. kind of think you're forward planning and presumably the economics and the business plan in terms of cash flow etc um has to be hugely different from that of a brewery who's going to set up and knock yeah, out yeah. you know we're, your pale ales and we're talking a few weeks uh a year to two years planning in advance so the stuff we put away two years is coming good now we have some stuff which is six months old and it's actually looking really really nice uh, really sour um a little bit 
of interest in it, but nothing that we wouldn't want to put in our beer. Um, and I think that's the big thing is the uh, microbes and yeasts that we include in our beers, um, and sometimes just the wild ones that occur, uh, introduce off flavours and certain things that need to, they take time to clean up. So we've got stuff that's six months old, it's tasting fantastic. We've got stuff that's been sitting there a couple of years, has still got a little way to go. Um, but really, we're just starting to get the stuff we put away two years ago, starting to come good now. So it's, um, yeah, long time in the process. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme by <laughs> any means. No. Well, it's, it's craft brewing, isn't it? Isn't all craft brewing <laughs> get-rich-quick? Yeah. Uh, no, not when you give yourself a one to four-year turnaround leave no. time, no. It's not, it's not even a get-rich scheme. It's just, <laughs> yeah. I, I empathise as a podcaster. <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh, we understand. So, Fiona, tell me a little bit about how Dollar Bill started, how it was con- kind of conceived, and then also how did you develop that first kind of brand and the image and how you were going to, you know, fit in possibly, you know, to the Ballarat scene mm-hmm. and then beyond? Well, when I met Ed, Broom was already in his blood. Um, didn't matter what I did or said. It was something that he just continued to do. Um, he's been brewing for probably 20 years and it just kept getting bigger and bigger and taking up more space and more space. And so eventually the decision was made, um, you know, I think you're good enough. About six years ago? Yeah, about six years ago. Yep. And, um, Start putting yeah, stuff away. It was, quantities that we could actually sell, which was still very small, very small quantities, yeah. barrels. But as I said to him, I said, if we get this branding right and we get our name right, I mean, I'll go out there and I'll sell it. We can get this done. I, I like a chat. So um, the decision was made and I think it took us two years to come up with the company name. That was probably the hardest thing we've ever done because I was given the rule of um, no numbers and no animals. So there couldn't be one blue pigeon or three fat ducks or anything along those lines and I liked all the organic names. So this went on for ages and eventually um, Ed's strongly into hip hop and art and you know, lots of uh, various creative streams. And um, I came up with a name and said, oh, Dollar Bill Brewing. Google, Google, Google. No one's got it. Oh my God. So we went, oh, Dollar Bill Brewing. And the minute we'd sort of decided on that, Ed went, okay, I know what I want to do. I know how I want this to look. I know the feel that's going to come across. And he started looking around for Australian artists to do our artwork. And anyhow, he had two pictures up on the screen. He said, so which one, the guy on the left or the guy on the right? I said, oh, guy on the right, much preferred. He goes, can you ring this guy, Craig McGill? I went, I know him. I said, what do you mean you know him? He did the, the first plastic, the bicentennial $10 note. I go, yeah, I remember when he got that job. I said, how do you know him? I said, my sister played tennis with him. Anyhow, so we rang Craig McGill up and he really doesn't chat very much. And uh, it happened to be his 40th that day. And he's like, oh my God, Simone's little sister. I said, do you like beer? He goes, I love beer. I do this book called Wine Dogs. He's also a photographer. And I went, oh my God, we're really broke. But if you put us on a payment plan, we'd love you to design all our artwork and do all our labels and logo and all that stuff. So just the minute we got the name, everything just started to work together and relationships came together. And uh, Ed basically, once we had the branding done, and so our first bottle was our cider. 
And we gave him the most cryptic list of stuff. We said, we want a serpent and an apple on there for Adam and Eve. We want a goat on there because it represents bread and mices. Chuck 13 moons on there because there was uh, 13 <laughs> states when America had their first dollar bill and my birthday's the 13th. Mm -hmm. uh, a mate said, I want a UFO on there. So yeah. we put that on there too. Monarch butterfly. Oh, and, uh, Monarch Sebastian's. butterfly. There was actually a <laughs> riddle on there too, which no one actually ever solved and called. We had a hotline and everything when we first opened, which had this key to the treasury you could have solved. Like we were mad about how over the top <laughs> We were going yeah, into the this. labels were all yeah. But um, he came back with this label, and it was like he crawled inside our brains. I, it just blew my mind at how good he is at this stuff. And uh, Ed then gave me a list and said, "This is where I drink," because he'd been brewing for years and years, and I basically ignored him the whole time. Yeah. I went, I don't know. All of a sudden, oh, I need to know everything really quickly. Get me up to speed. So he gave me this list of where he you know, likes to drink and what bars are the best. And we went around and we knocked on doors and stood there with a bottle of cider in hand and said, uh, hi, this is us. And I remember that the first sale was at Chris at Slow Beer. And I looked at him and he goes, I'll take three boxes. I went, oh, realised at that point I hadn't opened a bank account or anything. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And I went, we, we should, uh, I'll, I'll fix this up. And he went, no worries, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> so it was one of those things. It's just... And we're still doing that. We're still getting further ahead of ourselves than we, um, you know, plan for and, you know, bits and pieces. We know so. where we want to be very much. We yeah. have, you know, we want to grow the business. We want to keep doing what we're doing. We're planning on introducing our first core beer this year, which mm. will be uh, run on a Solera system. So it'll be available all year round. And it's taken us yet again... <laughs> Yep. I think it was 16 months to nail out the label and the name for it because with that particular, with our artwork and, and we always want to stay, it's really hard when you look around, you see everyone else doing everything and Ed always has to remind me because I do the sales and marketing sort of side of thing, don't worry about what's going on around you, always bring it back to who we are and so that's why every piece we release, it's very personal, that's why on our seasonal ones like the Spring Parlay, um, pass it up for a sec. You'll see we actually have on here, because no one's supervising us, we have suggested tracks down the bottom. So we actually have music to go with our beers. Firstly, you, your passion comes through in terms of getting things right. Yep. I think there's a lot to be said for that. In an industry that's moving so quickly and things are changing all the time, you're yep. kind of booking the trend because your beers take a long time. But also, you know, you, your, your decision making is taking a while. Yeah. But in an industry as well, which is very difficult to stand out, and there's a few, uh, shall we say, major players who've come into the market recently yeah. and have got a, a massive team behind them for PR, etc., design, and they haven't got it quite right to stand out in a crowded market. Mm. I think your bottles look beautiful. Mm. They you. look special, though, you know, because. In terms of pricing as well, your bottles aren't going to be cheap. They're not going to be one of those things that people are going to, um, you know, just grab and Friday kind of... Friday night six-pack. Th yeah, <laughs> they're going to think about purchasing it. And the label looks special. It looks like a treat. It looks like something that you can actually... The label itself actually stops you and makes you think and makes you read and slows you down. Yep. And I think that's right on trend is uh, it for yourselves as well I think it's one, so. one of the hardest things is actually writing the um, product descriptions it's like yeah, <laughs> I'd sit there for hours on end staring at the blank computer screen going how am I going to describe how I feel or you know how I want people to feel about the product and not coerce them into or convince them 
what's in the product, but allow them to kind of explore it themselves, but still entice them to buy it and do that. I think that's really hard to do. So. And, and on that note, we actually have a mate that turns around and whenever there's a, one of these seasonal releases out, does want to know what's in it. What's the song? I'll figure out what it is. <laughs> Tell me what the song is. And that's all the information he wants. <laughs> wow, we'll work backwards. I'll work her. backwards from the track. <laughs> that's wonderful, yeah. So one of the things that surprises me is that Dollar Bill wasn't taken. Yeah. You, you think how yeah. old the American market is, surely someone would have... Maybe it's a little bit too much. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe well, it's a bit too commercial. Maybe it's a bit... That was one of our big, big... I was really worried about the start was, oh my God, we sound so commercial. Dollar Bill Brewing. Could it be any more commercial? We're like, oh, this is it. Yeah. You've got Dollar Bill right here. <laughs> we, are, we, are. we did a delivery to Mr. West the other day and they saw us, you know, put stuff in the boot of the car and they're like, oh, this is it. We go, oh, when we said Dollar Bill, this is it. <laughs> this is it. And the three kids. We've got three kids who help us too. Yeah. Of, they do some packaging. A little bit of and packaging stuff. and yeah, bits and pieces. So. At the beauty about the name, though, it sounds like it has been around for a long time. True. You know, so there is sort of like you, you almost that evokes kind of a trust in the brands, yep. even though it's fairly recent, um, you know, conception. So great start. Yeah, it is. <laughs> we, yeah, we've got the draft so well. Yeah. Um, we're here to talk through six beers that changed everything. Um, now, Fiona, we there was a steward's inquiry. Uh, apparently, uh, <laughs> where I've managed three. You've, you've managed three. That's I've managed three. As I said, till we actually took on the business um, and it became part of my life, Ed had been doing this the whole way along, and I really ignored it. Well, well, what I'm going to do, I'm going to start with Ed. Okay. okay. Ed, if you could tell us your first. Yeah, beer. I've got like sixteen. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can keep going with mine if you want. But I'm... We'll go choice one. <laughs> choice one is. Um, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. So um, I went over to, to Canada in about 99 for a, uh, like a sojourn from uh, kind of university. I was um, working ski fields at the time and I, I went over there with a mate and we, um, he got to work in a winemaker's and I got work in a, a small microbrewery and um, it was just a real eye-opener to see the amount of beers and the different beers and what they had access to over in Canada it was incredible. Because where had you grown up? In Melbourne, yep. Yeah, and what was available? Oh, Carlton Draft, Carlton Cold, VB. Um, yeah, that's diversity. You've got three, <laughs> you got three choices. And, no, and my dad drank Foster's, so there you go. Yeah. Crown Lager if we're at the races. Yeah, Crown Lager, that's it. So, yeah, wasn't much going on in Australia. I think Han had been released, or Han had, you know, come onto the scene, and, and Tui's was probably in the wings there at that point but um and how old were you when you so it would have been 19 when i went over to canada wow yeah. and so sierra nevada was your first yeah so first we went we went down from uh, vancouver went down to uh, seattle and past the um the boeing factory there which they can lift a, a boeing 747 over another boeing 747 side inside a factory it's pretty impressive um and we stopped in at a uh, a service station to fill up a bit of gas and there they have Sierra Nevada Pale Ale in the um, service station there. So you can grab a couple of cans on the way, <laughs> way through. It's what could go wrong? Oh, exactly. <laughs> Beautiful. So, yeah, it was just an eye-opener to have such a high-caliber beer in a service station available all the time and just nothing in Australia like it. So just really, yeah, amazing to see what they were doing over in, in Canada especially uh, and the States and just how far behind we were at that point. So. Um, can you remember what kind of 
sensation you had when you drank a Sierra because it even now sometimes you can pick up a Sierra Nevada I haven't had one for a while but sometimes yep. if you get one and it's pretty fresh yep. it still kind of yeah, knocks mag- you back a bit <laughs> yeah, yeah. Still. Oh, just, I don't know just fruity magnificent uh, peppery uh, just fresh hops and just yeah and I don't think um, Sierra Nevada is that far from Seattle is it? <laughs> <laughs> a few, few thousand kilometers yeah, out of yeah, yeah. Um, so, so the distribution, obviously, they had a yeah, decent yeah. Uh, handle on as well. Yep, so, um, yeah, just a real eye-opener. And it was just, yeah, I just couldn't believe that they were able to access that many beers. I mean, we would read the, uh, the, or the Lonely Planet guidebooks saying 365 different beers, one beer for every day of the year in um, Canada. So um, we tried to drink least two every day two different beers every day i think we managed quite well but um yeah it sounds like you're almost <laughs> giving them on prescription yeah. like when you start like having them so i was working in a brew pub too so it was like i'd drink a couple of beers here and then a couple of beers after work and then yeah it's a lot of lot of, lot of beer drinking <laughs> it was good fun and why did you leave canada it sounds great <laughs> uh end of visa um, i came back for uh work i think i can't actually remember but um, yeah, I spent almost a year there, and then I came back to Australia, and I went to work in the ski field. So, yeah. That's where I found him. Yeah. And you, when you went back to the ski field, you were drinking. Uh, I was probably drinking Tui's because Tui's had just come into Australia at that point and had taken over everything in the ski fields. It was like the, you know, the the tap takeover, the competition between uh, CUB and Tui's was very strong at that point. So like the only two big players really at least you can kind of guarantee it's going to be served cold yeah <laughs> so that's all, that's all it was cold in the ski fields it was definitely cold so, yeah. so I, I'm actually going to get, go straight to your choice two choice two because if I'm, I'm not great at maths yeah. but three and six we no. can do two we can do Please, two at a time yeah, yeah. and feel yeah. free Fiona to no, no, you no. know if you want to correct Ed on any of these facts then <laughs> you can certainly chip in but um, my second one was uh, Emerson's JP which was um, a brown ale on sour cherries, which is, I don't know if you know Emerson's Brewery out of New Zealand, um, but they did some incredible beers. And uh, this one was just a, like a, a seasonal release or it's a, a yearly release and they change it every year. So it's slightly different. I guess, you know, our businesses, you know, dollar bills a little bit like that. We do our seasonal releases and they're all just a little bit different. Um, but maintaining some consistency over, over batches. But this was a, a brown ale on sour cherries. I'd never tasted anything like it. It was barrel-aged and a little bit sour, but not overly sour, and just beautiful. Yeah. It's actually We were actually discussing Emerson's in the previous episode with Brendan O'Sullivan from Three Ravens, okay. who yep. was talking about their Pilsner, yep. and um, Michael Jackson, the beer hunter, uh, not the bad one. Yep. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he, you know put Emerson's Pilsner up there in terms of a yeah. truly world-class example of, of that style. Yep. And it's interesting to hear a brewery like that, fairly mainstream, doing a release which is sour yep. um, or has a hint of that yeah, at least. Yeah, so only the slightly sour, but, but even their, their stout, so this is, this is back in 2008, um, even their stout had some underlying Britannomyces. And it was like, I think he had a, a barrel barrel kind of plan where he'd, he'd fill barrels up and blend them back into batches and, and bits and pieces but um, yeah he was quite small when he started and he got bought out a few years ago and I'm not sure who owns it now but yeah, yeah I, think it's, I think it's Lion who yeah. own it um, now and um, 
what's interesting is you have chosen the kind of sour route now that seems to me a difficult path to tread for example uh stone and wood they have a spin-off brand fixation yep. and they decide all we're going to do is ipas so yep. they're going to do one style but that's 65 percent of the market is ipas <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's not make, bad that's it, not bad planning yeah, yeah it kind of yeah. seems to make business sense <laughs> yeah. now sours make up such a small part of the market yep. and you know you're talking in um you know without kind of stereotyping ballarat's a town where people are used to what they're used to and you know even things newcomers into the market like furphy and things might be a challenge or stonewood pacific yep, ale might sure. be a challenge for your everyday drinker yep. where do you fit into that in terms of how you market your beer expose explain your beer to people and explain what they should be tasting and experiencing we have some really um really passionate brewers especially with the fed uni course here um like really educated passionate drinkers uh brewers home brewers um even industry people we got uh hop temple up the road just magnificent and mellow here um and i think they they assist us in educating people uh without you know without chucking people in the deep end you don't want to take someone who's only ever had cut and draft and chuck them straight into a dollar bill beer but um they kind of introduce people to it and it's um really helpful yeah and i think that's one of the advantages of us being from a town like this is we've got really good relationships with anyone that we're working with because we've said all along this is something we love doing and we want to be surrounded by the the beer family that we have now is just incredible because everyone that we deal with they like us they support us and when you're really small and you don't have a huge amount of product you need that so i mean even we've got um, tony and that in at um, campana's here so it's just a little deli and stuff but people go in there and they'll go in to buy their beers or whatever and they take the time and they'll actually speak to people and they know about our products and they um you know can direct people and because we have that support here we're, we're really really blessed to have that behind us because they do they a, they like what we do, B, they like us, which is a bit of a plus, and then they, you know, are happy to support us, and, um, yeah, we've been really lucky as far as that goes. So even though it is a really small market, people in Ballarat talk to each other. Um, the businesses support each other. It's a, it still has that nice country thing to it where um, they want to see you succeed, which uh, I think we may have gotten lost if we'd tried to, you know, launch in Melbourne or whatever. It could have been a lot more difficult. Mm. Um, I just... Here's the spot for us. And also the fact was we've gone through this um, at the moment because we're trying to get the permits to get our cellar door open um, towards the end of the year. Uh, we had the discussions about whether we'd be in town because we're on seven and a half acres. We're only 10 minutes from the train station. We're going to run a courtesy bus and all that. And I said, if we were to do that, we end up like every other brew pub. I said, by people being able to come out and sit amongst um, an acre of hops and a couple of acres of um, orchards and we've got the miniature cows and we've got the sheep and all those sorts of things running around, bring your gumboots. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a nice thing that they can't get in Melbourne. So yet again, that's something that, you know, is gonna be special to Ballarat. They can, Ballarat people can call theirs because we are, we're part of Ballarat. Yep. So, yeah, we have a lot of passionate um, locals here. Uh, what are the, the artisan thing. Yeah, the artisan Ballarat's thing. actually doing a thing at the moment on the artisan producers in Ballarat, and they're really, really behind people like myself and Ed wanting to see us do well, which is um, it's just fabulous. Yeah, we meet a lot of people in Melbourne as well who are ex-pats from Ballarat, basically ex-Ballarat ex <laughs> Balloratians, and yeah, just and especially in the industry too, you just 
find them everywhere. So I don't know, maybe there is an underlying kind of love of beer in Ballarat that just kind of seeps out into Melbourne and, um, yeah, just everywhere. I think that's easy to forget as well that when you're in Melbourne and immersed in kind of this really fast-moving craft beer scene and there seems to be a new brew pub opening every other week and, um, you know, there's you go to the bottle shop on a Wednesday, you go on a Sunday, and then, not that I do, but uh, there's, uh, <laughs> but there's another new beer on yep. the shelf. And But you also forget that in the um, towns like Ballarat or, or Bendigo or Beechworth or wherever, there's a lot of pride and like patriotism towards the town and the township and the idea that the product is being um made locally in that town and then is kind of holding its own on the big stage in the big city yeah that's pretty special isn't it yeah definitely yeah they've got a whole campaign going here as i said now um called made of ballarat that is actually trying to showcase people like myself and Ed in different industries that just love what they do, that just, you know, we spend every living, waking, waking moment uh, and waking each other up going, I want to talk more about this at 3am, um, just going over what we do because it, it is part of who we are. But, and it's not just, bro, we've got um, uh, a little maltster who's set up, who's really doing some really interesting stuff and really um, small batch malting in Ballarat as well so it's like you've got these satellite businesses um, developing from that kind of industry as well which is good yeah and I can I kind of see that um, sometimes the big cities there's uh, come with an arrogance or a thing like oh we're ahead of the curve and I think often you need to turn that inside out and actually you know I think the smart brewers are actually looking towards you know the provincial towns and the regional Victoria to mm-hmm. actually learn because there's so much going on and so much knowledge and skill and access to great raw materials yep. that yep. that seems to be uh, something that you know we can easily overlook mm-hmm. but it, it, same with even uh, you know the access to um, beers from Tasmania for example oh, I know like um, Van Diemen's and Van Diemen's Tool, Art Brewing yep. um, which you don't see a huge amount on the mainland but yep. certainly the knowledge and the skill level is there and we need to kind of exploit that as much as possible and, and crop, you know collaborate and yep. all of those things well I don't I don't think we won't ever take it as far as as Van Diemen's has been able to and then with their, their single you know single place <laughs> complete beers and two minutes unless he lenses his tractor yeah or we, <laughs> or we get a bit more land um, can you take the tractor on the spirit <laughs> exactly. in Tasmania that would be but, uh, but, uh, maybe a week or two that's all we need <laughs> but our end goal would be to have um, produce what we can on our property uh, and forage what we can on our property from various plant materials and things and create our beers and, and drinks our ciders out of that you know that one property and and locally as well so so and just so you know so our property is we're fully off grid so um you know we had the satisfaction of sending out an instagram thing that said uh our beers are really really cold thanks to the sun. Yep. So because we we've got panels on the cellar door um completely off grid and it's one of those things we always have we went into this with the aim to have minimal impact with what we're doing to create something beautiful and to bring people together and it's it's yeah it's really important to us that that message comes across but that's the whole country town thing we're very lucky yeah absolutely um Fiona it's your turn uh choice one (laughs) choice one I'm, I'm looking for my notes like a crazy lady now 
Um, oh, so the first one that happened to me probably doesn't sound like anything major to anybody else, but it would have been uh, seven and a half years ago, so we hadn't started the business at that point. And we were in Castlemaine, and I think it was called the Public Bar. We went into, and uh, they had whatever on tap, and it was a particularly warm day, and I went, oh, really feel like a nice cold beer. And they had uh, Truma, uh, the Pilsner, on tap. And they, I picked that, they poured it, had the matching glass and everything, which I'm into my packaging and stuff, so I was, all right, this is nice. And I said to Ed, I just, I, I'm older than Ed, so I grew up in a slightly different era, yet again. And well, um, the beers weren't that much different. No, us. probably not that much <laughs> different, but ever, it was Carlton Draft. Uh, if you were fancy, you had a Corona or whatever, Vida, yeah. um, maybe a Heineken, um, or if you were at the races, it was Crown Lager. So this was the first beer that I sat back and I said to Ed, it was the first time I asked him a question about beer and said, why do I like this? Why is this different there's something in this that I really like and he went through and he said to me oh well you know it's it's fresher it's got you're going to taste more of the hops and this and that and sort of it's um a different recipe and so for me you know it wasn't massive but like you said epiphany and for me it was the first time I realized beers are different I hadn't sort of um beforehand I depended a lot on chardonnay um whereas these days I've been introduced to beer and I see beer like wine now that it matches food. It can match my mood. It can do what I want it to do. And it, it's a really nice thing. So that was the first time that I realised. That was your first beer that you'd ever had that kind of had made you stop and think because so that before that point, beer was exactly what you'd expected. We, we just drank cut and rough. If you wanted a beer, you had a pot at the pub and we'd go down there and the boxing would be on. Or you go down, that was the days that my local, the Waterloo, um, when you say the boxing was on yeah. on TV or on in TV. the bar room? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, on some days it was. <laughs> uh, but this was the days of, you know, the, I think the bar had like 10 pool tables in it. And, um, you know, you could still smoke absolutely everywhere. And that's what people did. You went down there, you smoked half a packet of cigarettes and you played pool and you drank Carlton Draft. And it was just accepted from when I first started going out. That was the routine. And everybody had the same routine. And uh, Ed had talked about beer and I saw what he did because he was already brewing and stuff. We had, you know, cowboys and things all through the house making all sorts of noises and I just walked around them. And this was the first time, though, that something actually stopped me in my tracks and made me go, I like this. This is not what I've had before. This is different. And that's why, because I said to Ed when you gave us the question, I went, for it to be an epiphany, it needs to be something that, for me... Uh, three children, mem- a lot of memory loss in there. So this is something I remembered. So it was really important. I'm really looking forward to Fiona, your second choice. But yep. Ed, yep. choice three. Choice three. Um, I don't even know how to pronounce it, but I think... <laughs> C- Cantillon Grand Cru uh, Brusilla was um, an absolute epiphany. Uh, just... Well, I went over to Belgium. It was probably only three, four years ago. So we did tours of uh, Dodole and Alvine and about 10, 15 different breweries and uh, champagne makers and uh, we went to Cantillon and bought a few bottles, we drank a few bottles there and I brought a couple of bottles of uh, Grand Cru Brusilla back and drinking it in Ballarat, it being still, not sparkling, uh, the complexities, just mind-blowing, yep. Was your first release was Grand Cru? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably why bold. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, it wasn't. Our, it wasn't our first release, but it was. Um, oh, you did the hop cider was. That yeah, the so first we did release? cider. We yeah. did uh, uh, 
last, last spring. And then we released at once, we did the MG and the um, Grand Crew at the same time. So this was clearly an inspiration, this oh, kind of Lambic. Sure. Yep. Um, what is it that you, from that point when you had the Cantillon, mm-hmm. did you kind of then go away from that? Had you already brewed kind of, or, yeah, or kind of tried yeah, to emulate so I, it I already? Yeah, so I drank quite a bit of Cantillon already, but um, the Grand Cru, uh, the way it was served, the depth, the actual uh, components of it, the, the flavour components, that, that breadiness, that real truffle kind of uh, quality to it, um, just, it was beyond anything I'd had previously from Cantillon or from any any producer and yeah it just made me aware of, of where how far you could take it and like, you know not being carbonated too like it, it was actually so wine-like and yeah beautiful so. now tell us about um your beers that you make in terms of how they should be stored you know if I buy one from the bottle shop uh, this afternoon how they how should they how, how should they be stored can yep. I age it yep what temperature should I drink it at? Yep, I uh, should definitely store it at about if you can if you can store it at about sixteen degrees. Um, it, they should store for uh, I'd expect nine or ten years. Um, and the the only thing that's going to cause problems is the actual cap, the the uh, tirage cap um, may end up corroding or deteriorating or letting oxygen in. So it won't be actually the, the product won't deteriorate, but the cap. Or the closure might so, um, but 16 degrees would be perfect, and they should age for up, up to eight to ten years. If you were to serve them anywhere between four uh, to eight degrees, it's fine. Uh, colder will close off more flavors, warmer will probably open up more flavors, but um, yeah, it's it's personal choice, personal preference. So. And what's your personal choice because you're, you're the brewer, so yeah, four, to, <laughs> four, to, four to six degrees. I start at four, and I usually end up about six degrees. So. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to talk as well a bit later about the ideal uh, receptacle to drink your beers out of or, sure. or the, yep. the, 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 your chosen brews. Um, but we'll go straight to choice four, Ed. Choice four would be uh, dinner by the main uh, beer company. That's a double IPA. Um, so this is going heading down a different rabbit hole, uh, which if I had my own brewing equipment and we were a little bit bigger, and maybe that will happen in the future, um, I would definitely explore the uh, New England IPAs. Um, but my friend uh, Glenn bought a couple of bottles back. He bought back some uh, Alchemy uh, Heady Topper and he bought back uh, dinner as well. And this thing was just mind-blowingly different from any IPA, any bitter West Coast IPA that I've ever had or even Australian IPA that I've ever had. Um, and I think I probably only had arrogant bastard as a you know the, the primary um you know example of that style uh and this thing was light and delicate and just balanced and beautiful so and can you remember what percentage it was around uh, I, think it, I think it's around eight eight point six yeah. so yeah double up yeah so. and so that is definitely not what you make no, now no 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 <laughs> but i would love to make it but it's it's a that it's a style that cannot be you can't age it you have to produce it and release it and it's fresh maybe maybe a month maybe two months after brewing it, it it goes out onto the market and needs to be consumed straight away so so do you think the aging process of your beers dollar bill 
gives you some sort of an advantage because if you don't want to release it, you can sit on it for a bit longer. That yeah, definitely an advantage and definitely um, suited to where we're at. Well, where we've based our production and our equipment on. So we've set up two age beers. Um, we haven't set up to produce beers in on mass and produce them quickly and get them out on the marketplace. We've set up to put stuff into barrel, store it. Uh, release what we can to keep things ticking over until we get bigger and can release more. So, Excellent. Mm. Fiona, choice two for you. Okay, choice two was uh, we've probably been selling for six months at this point. Um, so I was getting to meet a lot of people in the bars and uh, having conversations about beer that, you know, before I would have killed him over. Um, <laughs> no, pretty Did much. you become worse than Ed at this point? Did you overtake the beer conversation? No, no, that still hasn't <laughs> happened. All conversations. Just all I'm, conversations. I'm pretty happy that I can hold my own these days and I know roughly what people are talking about. I once got caught out... Um, trying to uh, recite some of the information Ed gave me and I told someone about how many BMWs were in a beer and they looked at me very strange. It was actually Chris again at Sober and he goes, you mean IBUs? Yeah. That was it. That was the word. I just let it go. I just let it go. It was entertaining. It's great. So no, I still don't have uh, quite the knowledge that my husband does. That will be a while off. But um, we were in one of the bars that we were selling to and uh, I got a Samuel Smith's organic uh, chocolate stout. So I'd had dark beers before and um, I have, um, my palate doesn't like um, bitter. I can't drink coffee, I just find it too bitter. Um, any of those sorts of things don't agree with me. So I tried dark beers and I always just, they didn't, didn't work for me. Um, and when I tried this one, I just went, oh, hello, we've, we've got a winner here and it was, I, I learned from that that there was, uh, like wine, that there's bad wines out there, some really bad wine out there, but then there's some stuff that just, if you get the right gear, it just floors you. And this one for me was really approachable, um, and that was probably my gateway that um, led me to start trying uh, more interesting beers. And the other thing was at that point we'd sort of, we'd been looking around for you know, our property and getting ourselves settled. And I met a guy who's a local guy here, um, Norm Lata from uh, the winery up there, Eastern Peak. And uh, we went in and introduced ourselves because we were looking at buying in the area, et cetera, et cetera. And he gave me a word of advice and he said, I love what you do, stick to it, blah, blah, blah. And he said, Fiona, try everything. He said, just get out there and try it all. He said, your product's good. He goes, you've got the right, everything going on. He goes, but get out there and try it. And I went, I'm going to take that on board and drink every beer I get my hands on. <laughs> Which I did, I think, with the first six months of sales, Ed had to show for me around because everywhere I went, I'm like trying to make friends and I'm drinking the beers and it's all very <laughs> hectic. Um, but this beer was the one that uh, we tried it in at uh, Jimmy's in Ascot Vale. And uh, he said, oh, I'll give this a go. And I loved it. So yet again, it was one that it actually led me then to say, I want to do more of this. I want to try more beers. And uh, since then, I haven't backed off. And Samuel Smith of a grand history of making very traditional style beers, which can take a bit of time to do as well. I think they have uh, one of few breweries that have the Stone Cool Ship, and um, yeah, it, it, they do amazing things. Actually, if you, uh, if any um, one hasn't listened to the previous episode of Tallboy Moose, Dan chose. Uh, Samuel Smith as one of his beers. Oh, uh, spoilers, um, but, um, 
but he actually talks at length about the history of Samuel Smith and, and so on so if, if you're interested in that you should listen back yeah, to, cool. to that and um, again one of those beers that you could give to somebody who says I don't like beer yes and it tastes yep. something that you're not expecting but there is also which still surprised me probably um, a bit of a, an aversion to dark beers yeah, I agree with that. You know, amongst I don't like dark beers, I don't like this beer, and there's a lot of I don't like. Ton. It's mm. the opposite of try everything. And your beers, I'm looking at this uh, fantastic beer, which is kind of pink. It is. Yeah. It's uh, blueberries. blueberries and apple skins. But when you pour it out, what do you find people's reactions are to it? Generally, they're excited. It's it's something interesting, and we know from people. So our parlay is released quarterly. And it has changed every quarter. Um, our last one's just come out, just been released this summer, which is a Tempranillo, and that's got an amazing orange colour. And the people that are now uh, familiar with us, they can't wait each season to see what are they going to do next. Agreed completely. <laughs> I'm very excited by it. But um, in terms of your process, how much beer do you lose? Because there can be some waste. Uh, probably you mean more by so. Ed drinking it? Or? <laughs> there's, there's quite a bit lose that way. <laughs> there are some losses in that uh, yeah, column. Minor taxes. Quality, it's called quality control. Honey. Quality control. That's it. Expanding the palate. And, yeah, uh, yeah, do you kind of do you lose more yeah, than yeah, you would I'd, in an average? No, it's not. It's not or? a huge amount. I, I wouldn't put We're a very um, particular with our barrels percentage on it. Like, 10, Ten to twenty percent of barrels either get ditched or going to reserve stock for if we can find somewhere to, to use it or see if it comes or if it changes. Um, it's funny, I've, I've found that a lot of things that contain Britannomyces or wild bacteria taste terrible for the first six months and longer. So, <laughs> so, and they can change, they change uh, on, a, on a dime. Um, they can just change with a, you know, a little a little bit of warmer weather um, having come through a fairly warm summer um, a lot of our barrels have really changed a lot of um, uh, butyric acid that was prevalent in, in quite a few of our barrels has completely disappeared um, so yeah just given time and, and we ditch stuff that's not you know it, it shows it, it, it had gone acetic so vinegary or if it's got um, acetaldehyde um, so it's, it's like chemically kind of smell to it or taste to it we usually get rid of them it, it won't come good from that so we get rid of them but. and how do you maintain the health of the barrel itself because they are susceptible to you know drying out or changing in their characteristics or carrying on um, some things that you are unwanted how do you maintain or identify those type we, of things we try and we try and keep them topped you got to keep them topped because um, exposure to oxygen will cause uh, acetic acid bacteria to cause create acetic acid, um, and reduction in temperature like 27, 30 degrees. We start to get worried once the actual product gets up over that temperature. And we, yeah, it's um, gets a bit nervy when you get three or four days of 40 degrees after a you know warm stretch. But we've been pretty lucky this summer. Our shed's got a very high roof. Um, and it seems to stay nice and cool at the moment. So, 
Yeah, and part of temperature control as well. That's a tricky thing for, for anybody yeah, in, in most circumstances. As you get bigger. Yeah, and uh, that, but that has a huge impact on your product. Um, yeah. How do you kind of, uh, you know, part of it's part of the joy as well yeah. of, you know, not being able to control that um, because you get those different characteristics and et cetera. But there does come a point where... <laughs> Yeah, how you how do you how are you managing that at the moment? Well, we we have a like I said a high roof in our shed. Um, the the plan is to put some misters around and then get reduce the temperature, maybe a um, uh, evaporative cooling system. But uh, for we the also moment, when we started out, we used to run with a reefer, so yeah. which we can fit up to sixteen barrels per reefer. Yeah. So and we had this thing, um, you know dialed in um, with the temperature 16 degrees so customer. yeah the fact is that we, we're still looking at that option as if we do need to buy more reefers and put them together um, ideally we'd like a, a proper seller but that will come in time everything in time one foot in front of the other people so, yeah that, that will, I mean that will reduce losses too if we have proper temperature control uh, keep your barrels topped um, yeah, you reduce losses also uh, we've, we've moved, we were barrel fermenting everything. We're moving slowly into uh, more stainless ferment and then aging in barrels. So that gives more control over the process. It doesn't allow bacteria in, in the initial stages. Um, let's, you know, you control it to a certain point and then let the bacteria have a go of whatever is um, left over in the sugars. So, yep. You got a new product relatively new mm-hmm. people haven't heard of it it's a new brand it's sour it's difficult to explain often the um, ingredients and process is very complex mm-hmm. it should surely is very hard to sell no it is um, <laughs> surprisingly <laughs> asked my dad it's uh, it's not hard to sell uh, we started off with a cider um, which uh, was 18 months in barrel, this particular one, called Cideways, which was a, a joke between my sister and I because we liked getting Cideways. Um, Ed made me a list of places to go and people to see, and we went around and knocked on doors, and uh, everyone that tried it loved it. Um, the homework had been done, though, so, you know, if you're going to, as I'd say, selling ice to the Eskimos, you're not going to have a good result, but if you turn up in, you know, Colombia or South America or somewhere where it's stinking hot, you might have a good crack at it. So I was very lucky I had the right places to turn up. Um, Turned up, great people, great industry. Like I've fallen, I never had clear direction in my life with what I wanted to do. And since Ed started doing this, I've found this absolute passion that just, I love the people in it. I love what I get to do. Um, So yeah, it wasn't hard and we went around and we spent the first 12 months building up relationships with people and getting to know everyone. And I was on a massive learning curve during that time, learning Products, places, directions was a huge one for me yeah. driving. Um, Through Melbourne. <laughs> I think, I think the, the, one of the funnest ones was um, Carwin Sellers, when you went into Carwin Sellers and we tried to sell our cider to um, Ben Carwin there. Oh, <laughs> he was gorgeous. He's having his God lunch at the time. Him. He's having his lunch yeah. and he said, I'll give you a fair and honest answer. And like, but at this stage, I'm going, oh, crap, he's scaring the shit out of me. Yeah. Well, well, he wouldn't stock anything he doesn't like. So, and so. I'm looking at him and he goes, and get some glasses, bring it on, let, let's do this. And uh, we poured it, and he looked at me, put his glass down, and just went, I'll take it. I went, really? 
Cause yeah, and I'm, I'm a hugger, I'm a hugger, I'm with that. Oh, he's got like half his lunch nearly all over his shirt, and I'm wrapped him in a massive bear hug, and then I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, because I was just still full of nerves, you know. It was, um, you know, I'm fairly confident, but when you're out there and it's a whole new industry, it was something that, you know, I, I hadn't met these. I dropped Ed off there several times before to catch up with Glenn for beers. But I hadn't really spent time in these places and I wasn't familiar in those spaces. And I didn't know the terminologies and all these sorts of things. So it was um, big, but yeah, that was... Uh, and everyone... That was has a good, good feeling though, when somebody you know appreciates your product and, and doesn't... Well, it still blows our mind when yeah. we'll pour it for someone and they go, oh my God, I love that. And I said, it still gives me goosebumps. Hearing that, I was just in Campana's here in town the other day and... Um, the guy in front of me, two people in front, was buying one of our beers and Serge turns around and goes, hey, it's still a beer, blah, blah. And I'm like, I love seeing this. Like, in my hometown, there's a bloke in the queue in front of me buying one of our beers. So, um, no, we just, we were, had the right information. Uh, Ed makes a cracking product and knows what he's doing. And uh, from there, when we released our beers, it was not a hard sell at all. We always made the decision to come out guns blazing. Um, it was something, we're not huge. When we started selling, we only had 16 barrels. Um, you know, I didn't have a bank account, all those sorts of things. <laughs> um, so now to have, you know, we've got 55 barrels, we've got a couple of transport tanks, we've got some Solera systems going on, we've got our own cellar door. Uh, it blows my mind because I, at the start I thought I was running a business and it's only three years in, I'm now going, oh my God, I think I'm running a business now. <laughs> um, but yeah, the sales has been, it, it's, a, it's a joyful thing. If, if you have the right attitude and you've got a decent product and you give a rat's ass, it's actually not, not that hard to achieve in life. It, it's just caring about what you do and really digging in and giving it your best shot and putting in all your effort. Because it is also that emotion, like if you're selling vacuum cleaners or something, then that's one thing, isn't it? Like you've got the stress of trying to sell. But yeah. when you're selling something of yours yeah. that you, yeah, you care made. about and the, the people you care about are behind it and you know, you've know you poured a lot of love and effort into it, that puts up the stakes quite high, doesn't it, when you go into the bottle shop and you, you've got Ben Carwin trying, the, yeah. <laughs> trying it in yeah, front massively. of you. Yeah. Massively. No, and I can tell you, we, had a, uh, we were at the Ballarat Beer Festival not long ago and... You know, I said to Ed, it was one of our first big things where we've got our own marquee now and look at us, we're out there with all the other kids and, uh, you know, opposites and stomping ground and a few other big hitters and uh, we're standing there and one of my first people that came up, she ordered the cider and with that she's taken a sip, thrown the glass on the ground and gone, oh, that's not to my liking at all. And holy crap, this is going to be a hard day. (laughs) (laughs) But luckily she was the one off for the day. But yeah, it's still, you do take all feedback kind of personally because you really do care about it and and that's when you know my dad always says to me do something you love and you never work a day in your life and all my working career had been a lot of work (laughs) a lot of work whereas this now I just um I love it absolutely love it and the sales just come and people come to us and uh, people are respectful of what we do and they they like to share in the knowledge that Ed has and they like to to know the story behind things and they're as interested in us and the business as they are in the product it's it's a really I found when you're in the right environment everyone is passionate about it the 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 bar staff that you meet and things I walk in there and I see these people that are running bars like Carwin Sellers like Mr West like um, Beer Deluxe and uh, Boilermakers they've got to be some of my highlights because I walk in there and these guys and girls are just they're 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 incredible and then you get this connection with them and then 
they get that love for what you do, then they sell for you. And that's the most amazing thing is when someone believes in you and they then sell you. That's when you just sit back and go, my job's not hard at all. It's, it's all a, a happy you know, relationship. It's a, a long stretch, isn't it, from your journey when you describe that pub <laughs> drinking Carlton. <laughs> so you know that, <laughs> that having publicans who are passionate, knowledgeable, yeah, take the it? time to explain products to you, give you a try of them. Yep. All of those things add to the overall health of the industry and are kind of essential to, you know, craft beer and artisan producers. You come along a long way in 20 years. Was there anyone doing back that back 20 years ago? I, I don't know. Yeah. I never went there. Well, the tap, house, lane, tap House was the first one that yeah. in yeah, Melbourne as far only as just had last the year They had their 10th birthday last year. 10, ten well, years old. So 10 years. Yeah. And, but now it's gone that step further, though, where you see it's not just the craft beer under one roof. You've got bartenders in there that know their beers, they know their whiskies, they know their cocktails, and the you wines. just stand there yeah. and you go... Like Mr. West. How yeah. good is that place? Oh, exactly. You can go in there and you can get a boiler maker or you can have a cocktail or some of the best craft beer in Melbourne. And get entertained by Dave. You don't, have to <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to go to three or four different bars, you know, whereas before if I wanted to drink good wine or cocktails, we have to go to one of those bars. If they want a craft beer, we had to go to a beer bar. Now the people that are really excelling, you can see them. They've just, they're, their staff are knowledgeable, their places are gorgeous and their product and their passion yep. is or maybe we're just surrounded by a bunch of crazies like ourselves and just really <laughs> like what they do. <laughs> Possibly. I, yeah, I think uh, Emily Day, uh, who's previous guest of the show, obviously from, from Froth Magazine, uh, described um, you know the other people as normos. <laughs> They're the normal people and we are not yeah. the normos. Yeah, so. That's probably very yeah. true, yeah. Because for us, we look at it and we go, yeah, this is great. But yeah, to other people on the outside, it may not. <laughs> it might just be a little inside thing. Well, what a great insight thing it is. Uh, it's, as um, I said, uh, I posted a thing for the Women's Day and I described it as my beer family. And I've said thank you to Ed many times because I always knew what I wanted to get and what I wanted to achieve and stuff, but I, I never had an industry or a, you know, a way of expressing what I wanted to do and he's given me the absolute perfect job. I get to go out and talk crap to people and drink beer. It's fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't jobs like that in Centrelink? Like when you look at the boards, that was never on the board. No. It's never an option. You have an extra spot, we'll post it. <laughs> well, Ed, that seems like a good time to go to your fifth choice. So what have you got sure. for choice five? Beer Bearer by Lover Beer. Um, and I th I'd say this is probably one of the most influential beers I've ever drunk. Uh, just the crossover from... Uh, grapes to beer and wine to beer and this um, you know beautiful harmony uh, I've talked to winemakers before who said don't mix the, the grapes and the grains you don't, you don't mix the grapes and the grains but this thing was magnificent and I think a lot of our beers kind of take influence from that so yeah uh, Italian beer and the Italian producers are, are really up there too uh, along with the Spanish um, you're seeing a lot of uh, interesting stuff coming out of Spain too so um, yeah it kind of strikes me that you have you know in the general population you have your wine drinkers you have your beer drinkers now if you're trying to cross make that bridge across yep. it becomes difficult because your wine drinkers are put off by the word 
beer. Beer drinkers can be put off by the word sour beer. And so how, like, obviously there's that education and so on, but how do you, you specifically go about explaining to somebody what to expect when they have one of your beers? Uh, easiest way is not to, not to explain too much and allow them to just explore it themselves. We just we talk about sour beer as in uh, much like sourdough or sauerkraut um, and using that uh, lactic acid bacteria to uh, develop acidity within a beer. So um, each to their own journey and each to their own kind of palate. And also uh, food, how does that kind of play into, because um, clearly the, this is a, you're making beers which have a, you know, a direct harmony with yep. uh, solids. Yes, that's right. Yes. <laughs> so the liquid and the eat, solid. Eat and drink. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, you know, are, are there any particular, you, often when you buy a particular beer, it lists the food. Now, you're pairing music with... Yes, <laughs> that's the third, the third part. <laughs> what would you be suggesting that people are eating to go with, with your beers? Cheeses, for sure. Like cheese, like wine, cheese... Uh, in some ways, I find um, beer and cheese much better. Um, I would say beer and bread doesn't go well together, but sour beer and bread go really well. So, um, But yeah, cheeses and seafoods and all sorts. It's um, each to their own, and everyone's got an opportunity to explore that kind of thing. So, yeah. And you um, stocking beers in the local deli as well? Is that yeah. Does that play yeah. into... That that's a, a partnership, isn't it, of, of food and oh, definitely because they have um, Campanas have amazing cheeses and the uh, cold cuts, cold cuts of char- salumi, salumi. That's the new word for charcuterie, isn't it? <laughs> salumi. Um, they have all that old stuff bit. in there, yeah, and old. yeah, they're very big on uh, which you know their um, Italian background. I think so. Yeah, I believe so. And it's that it's that absolute corner store. They're on a corner. Uh, Tony's there, he's got his three kids that work in there and they're all just beautiful and they're all knowledgeable about what they do and yeah, it's that exact thing, you go in there and you buy that and they can say, here's some cheese we recommend and they know our products, so they can say well with that one we recommend you take this cheese these cold cuts, blah 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 and we designed ours, when we sit down and have a beer with friends it is always the tables laden with cheeses and meats and things and it's all paired to this, there's um a restaurant here in town called Underbar. Underbar. Um, run by Derek, who's uh, actually a hatted chef, and we regularly sell him our parlays and stuff. And he actually does full meals and, and matches them to him, and he does incredible stuff. And it, as he said, whenever he sort of we drop him whatever we've made, he, he's blown away. And he goes, it gives him such a, a depth to create a dish to to work with it. Um, we're also doing a bit of stuff with the Melbourne Food and uh, Wine Festival going on down there doing a lot of pairings and I think that's the thing that sour beer has a little advantage over your mainstream um our beers have a huge character they have a definite um, character that they lean towards so you can try any one of our beers and you might say so our, our next release that's coming out is um you know, sort of a darker beer, and it lends itself towards your uh, ribs and your, your heavier meats and things like that, getting into your real smoky style of stuff. Um, then we have other ones like this, which would uh, we're drinking the autumn at the moment, which is the Cab Sav base, and that leads me into my rich cheeses and, and grapes and things along those lines. So I think the 
beer really leads your palate yeah. in a certain they're, they're direction. They're all different too. Right? Yeah, they're all different. And they're, as we said, they're seasonal and we try and work them around the foods. And, and it's what we basically like to do when we're left alone. <laughs> get all the beer out. We get all the food out the fridge and uh, have friends over and just sit around and enjoy ourselves. I think that's a, a huge uh, difference and hopefully there's more of it, which is normally you'd make the food and then try to find a, a drink that matches it. I think with beers like yours, you start with the beer mm. and then try and find food that matches it. And that is, doesn't really happen very much, I don't think. And, no, and but that it would is. be a really good starting point, yeah. I think. Well, for as I said, actually, it is. The, the, rather than the being you know, the tail wagging a dog type of thing, yep. it would certainly the uh, in the be lead. a great, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah, no, well, as I said, we've got um, Beer Deluxe, the hair of the dog coming up there, and their chef specifically asked us to lodge what uh, flavour components will be in uh, what be an we're doing interesting for one, because it's um, quite It's a crazy beer, so good luck to botanical. the chef. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 so. it, uh, yeah, but they've actually asked us to do it that way, and they're actually pairing their menu to our beer. Mm. which um, is super exciting yeah and what a what a great thing as well just to be able to go to your local deli buy local produce and buy a local beer to go with it as well and you perhaps can meet the people who in the shop in the shop (laughs) very likely in Ballarat (laughs) well Fiona we'll go for your final choice choice three excellent choice three I will make Ed pronounce it please Ah, so, <laughs> uh, I believe it's Schlenkera. Yeah, the Rausch beer. So I'd been through and I'd had the um, Samuel Adams, which was my second one, which sort of made me go, oh, okay, maybe things aren't so scary. Oh, I called it Samuel Adams, Samuel Smith. Um, so it made me believe maybe things aren't so scary out there. And uh, we started selling to Boilermakers, which was a huge pivotal moment in my life. They taught me that you could have beers and if you put whiskey with them, it actually changes the whole flavour component almost. Um, so I had my first Roush beer. So now, now you're not pairing food with beer. But no, now I'm pairing whiskey. whiskey with I've beer. gone past food, I'm up to whiskey now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I had that uh, Roush beer and it was smoky, uh, it was warm, it had heat but not in a, a bad way. Um, and my palate was... I was just excited by the whole thing and then in at Boilermakers they pair it with a minute little snack but the flavour components they put into that and then they have the whiskey with it and they pair the whole thing together and I just sat there and went I have been missing this massive world around me and seriously ever since I've just I, I underestimated uh, the, the talent of bartenders because if you get a good bartender my lord are they they're such a huge asset so we've actually on that note we've um when the cellar door opens we've actually all the people that we um supply in melbourne and we have a relationship with we're going to have guest bartenders up so each weekend that we're open on the sunday uh, we'll have a guest bartender from every bar that we deal with so they get to as long as they let us steal their bartender for the day because <laughs> they're probably I'm not, not going to ask you no. I'm just going to smuggle them out <laughs> um, but that was is what we would like we've had a few discussions and a few people have already said yes um, that we want to get them up here so people from Ballarat they get to know the bar that they're from in Melbourne so hopefully when they go to Melbourne the, the level of skill in there is incredible these people is. are making cocktails and uh, Negronis and things that are just 
you know, beyond my imagination. It's just yeah. and, impressive. And I just, it's, for Ballarat, it'd be a pleasure for them to have that. And I think it's a, a nice key point that we'll have our things on offer at the cellar door, but we can also bring a bit of that Melbourne up and highlight someone else. And I think Ed taught me very early on that I shouldn't be looking at what other people are doing in the industry. We should be all working together. And if we all care about what we do and we all piggyback on each other, it's actually going to build the whole thing up into this amazing um, institution. And um, Next yeah, level. Yeah, it is. It's completely next level. So when I tried that beer, it was... And that's why I said I only had the three because there were three specific moments. This one was like the final moment where I went, I get it. I actually can now see what I needed to do. It gave me clarity on where I wanted to shift our cellar door to. So, because the cellar door was something we ummed and ahed whether we needed one and it was a move we had to do and we sort of, uh, we could not do it. But I think it's important to meet who buys your beers. I think it's important to have them be part of your story. To gives a, gives make a, them part of the family. a sense of place as well, a, well, um, a home base of ground. We get to have all the fun. I want everyone to come along and get to feel how we feel when we go somewhere and someone welcomes us into their bar yep. and makes us feel like like we walk in and we feel family. I want people to get that at our place. And, um, you know, for me to be able to maybe give them a beer that is one that ends up on their list, you know, that would be pretty epic because up until a few years ago I didn't have any of this education, I didn't have any of this awareness that was going on until I was pushed into the industry, or not pushed into the industry, but <laughs> landed in the yep. industry, whatever we want to call it. Fell into it. <laughs> Fell into it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, no, it's... Uh, I hope one day I can serve someone one of those beers at our cellar door where someone puts something together in a way that I get my head around it. And it was a very simple thing. It was the bartender asked questions, listened to what I liked, and just because I learnt try everything and this Roush beer turned up I don't know give it a go and it was it was phenomenal so um, yeah that's my three third one I think um, you've only chosen three but I think all of them are definitely worth two so yeah. excellent my job is done then well, look at me for being efficient <laughs> <laughs> but I think you're absolutely right on all of those elements that make you know you, you provide like in Boilermaker or there's plenty of places in, in Melbourne, Mr. West and so on, which not just the products that they're selling, but the atmosphere in which they sell, the knowledge that they're giving, you know, you yep. generally in those places you are spending a few dollars more than what you would in, in the place down the street. Definitely. But it's, it's the theatre and it's the environment and it's everything about it and it's, yeah, it's really nice to have a cellar door where you can oh. put that on for people. Definitely. And the chances are in those bars that you're going to end up uh, a lot more likely with the correct product in your hands. You know, if you walk into a, you know, a major supply chain or whatever, the chances of them having the knowledge, taking the time to figure out what you want and actually giving you a product that when you get home and you open that bottle of wine or bottle of beer that you go, ha, oh, mind blown, you got a maybe a half-half chance. If you go into one of these these new establishments that are not necessarily new, independently owned, forever, or, yeah, independently owned with people that give a rat's yeah. ass yet again, you're going to come home with something you may have spent 10 bucks more. You're going to open and go, oh, my God, I'm you, so happy I bought but this. But they'll also, they'll also guide you to, if you don't have that much money, they'll guide you to the right price for what you want as oh, well. Oh, yeah, so, it doesn't necessarily have right. to be more expensive. Yep. Yeah, that's true. But yeah. um, it, it is. It's just people actually communicating. And, and these days the world is so busy that 
to find anyone anywhere in any industry that actually is going to spend the time to give you what you want uh, first time round without having to call you back or anything is fabulous. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's also uh, well, probably what we need in you know today's world uh, is that escapism and that pleasure and that joy. And I suppose, like as we spoke at the start, you know, the length of time you put into every process that you do, this isn't a product to skull. It's one to sit and to relax and to enjoy and escape and all of those elements that come together. So, Ed, last choice. Last choice? Six. Uh, it would have to be uh, DuPont Saison. It's, um, yeah, benchmark beer. The... Uh, 35 degrees Celsius uh, fermented saison, which is almost like a, a red or white wine yeast, and um, just the characters, the spicy characters that come off the, the saison is incredible. Um, nothing I've ever had before or even after has kind of matched it. So, um, yeah, just a world class beer, that one. I think that is definitely one of those beers that, f- for me, you know when a, a brewery gets taken over uh, by a, a, a multinational and they say, nothing will change, <laughs> it'll be fine, <laughs> e- everything will stay the same yep. and don't worry about it, we'll, we'll keep everything the same, it'll still be the same in three, four years, whatever. And it's not. But then they tell the consumer that, no, it's your palate that's changed. It's your fault. <laughs> and Saison de Pont yeah. and many other kind of benchmark um, German beers as well, yep. they haven't changed. Yep. You can still go back to the Pont, you know, five years later and still try it and it's still yeah. what it is. It's and it's a great example of how strong the tradition is, the brands, um, the quality control. Yep. Um, and in terms of dollar bill, uh, like quality control when you're dealing with such complex like where do you start like have lots you, of have you actually <laughs> lots, of, lots of drinking have you actually got a a plan uh, like a written out kind I of have, or procedures etc that you have billion to things i want to do and time and and money don't allow but there's um processes where uh we, we do what we can to do it it basically best quality, so quality pretty can. much is on top of everything all the time anyhow it's it's what we talk about at 3am it yep. sounds really sexy doesn't it mm. um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no but we do it's uh we've yet to write up any procedure manuals as such but no. we do we eat live constant breathe. sampling there's uh blending processes i mean we find a lot of product because we um bottle condition all our beers um in bottle um the kegs are force carbonated so they go out as they're blended but uh, the bottles because they're bottle conditioned will throw off off flavors so we add sugar into them um, and then certain microbes or yeast will start chewing through them and uh, throw off flavors and I'll be you know sampling it a couple of weeks after you know bottling and then a month after bottling and then two months after bottling and going well what's going on and occasionally they'll go ropey in bottle and i'll be able to wouldn't be able, I'd be able to pour it properly it'll just be that viscous that it doesn't look right and then, um we just wait time usually fixes everything and once it's in bottle uh for example the, the spring uh a month after 
we bottled it. It was tasting absolutely terrible. And I was absolutely panicking, going, "What the hell have I done?" <laughs> I've got, you know, got a couple of thousand which bottles is, of something that which is, is why we unsellable. never label until the so the labels are never ever done until the product has come to its final point, and we've opened it and tasted it and said okay yeah. then i madly yeah. go i need a label <laughs> <laughs> and there's usually a week until we get labeled and out there but yeah it's um yeah just nervous nervous uh, panicky stuff when you put stuff into bottle and you bottle conditioning with microbes and things so yeah and on that note um is there anything that you would do differently if you could do it again do it again no i don't think no, so we're, we're progressing i think we're we're heading in a, a great direction. Uh, we need, I need more lab equipment, which will be in the We're budget. We're always going to need more so. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, is there anything that, um, is there any advice that you'd give if somebody was start, starting up a, a, a venture like you have? Maybe, do it. Maybe, maybe not in Palorat, but in another yeah, no, place. Anyway. You know, uh, what advice would you? My would biggest be, advice would be to take the step. Like for us, it was we've got three kids. Um, it was a big step, but we looked at it and we went, it's not about that, it's a life choice. And Ed had been doing this so long and he it's the one thing that he loves. And it was the one thing that I knew and I just turned around and I, as I said, I didn't have direction with where I wanted to be. And I went, I promise you if you do this, I'll sell it. Let's just, and it was, it was absolute blind faith. And we gave it a go and I just, life's too short to not chase up what you want to do. If you want to do, do it. Do it in your spare time. And eventually, you know, we're still doing bits of work here and there to pay for everything else that we need. The, the business does not yet fully support us. Um, that's, that's the big pipe dream is hopefully, you know, in another two years, this will be what we do full time. But you don't have shareholders to answer to or... Which is why we can put whatever damn song we want on the label. <laughs> There's no adult supervision going on. You, you say life's too short, but it'll take two years before you can drink. Yeah, true, you're right. You're right. I, oh. I would say, in my opinion, um, read, research stuff as much as you can. Do as much research as you can before you, you do anything. Well, that's um, an interesting point. We were at it. Uh, we've got a friend 20 minutes out of town, Pete, who does woodwork, incredible woodwork. And we were in his shop, he's made us a mantelpiece, which is, you know, over a hundred year old piece of uh, wood that's come out of a farm in Clunes. Yep, he box. did the doors for the uh, cellar door, so wait till we go there and you get to see those. Uh, he's incredible. And I walked in, there's woodwork books, there's staining books, there's this. I said, Dad, <laughs> see, you're all the same. Doesn't matter what industry it is. Yeah. Yeast books, wild books, this book, stain books. You can walk in and you can tell when someone just, it's in their blood, because they read it, they live it, they eat it they smell it whatever it's, it's just it's part of who they are and it all when i saw it only a couple of days ago i went i, I get it now it is it's obsession yep would be hmm. you're so. mad but <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a pleasant madness isn't it yeah, it is, it is. The, the, yeah. the level of the workmanship and the skill that you see come out in people that are prepared to back themselves is uh it's a privilege to stand by and see and as I said my dad was in sales his whole life and one of the proudest things for me has been watching my dad's relationship with Ed and he stands there and he watches him and he's proud as punch he goes yeah. what are you doing <laughs> oh, I would never do that you're crazy it's, it's hard because he does not understand craft beer industry at all and uh, he's probably a bit more of a mainstreamer 
but yet again he can see the success we've had and he, he cannot deny that it, it's working so you know don't listen to other people around you trust your gut you do your homework as Ed's saying and Research. give it a go fantastic we'll, we'll end on your snack to accompany your choice of beers and then your receptacle to drink them out of so Ed you go first uh, we, we have we, um, we've come across this magnificent truffle cheese uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's um. La Fromage. Oh uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. La I don't know la la the name la. of it. Truffle cheese. Uh, pretty much pairs with all our beers, um, sour beers, bready beers, um, the works, and uh, receptacle as well. Yeah, to draw what you're drinking the mouth off. Um, I've always been partial to the the Riddell glasses, but um, yeah. What's the other one? The the Zoltos too. Zoltos, we haven't but had much luck in not breaking those. No, we could break him. So it's one problem with good glasses, isn't it? Is <laughs> it that is they a, are, it's they a have, massive problem. They have certainly <laughs> built that into their business model. Yep. They don't last forever. Yep. And uh, Fiona, for you, a choice of snack. Um, so there's going to be snacks for every different season, but um, I love fresh figs. I like uh, pairing things, so I'm going to give you an explanation on our cider, even though we've spoken beer. For me, it's one of the ones I said to everybody, I said, if you're going to have a um, roast pork or something like that, or a, a pizza you or anything. A, you like, had a lemon tart the other day with cider. Uh, and a friend of ours made uh, in Ballarat um, made a homemade lemon tart with a chocolate base. And we paired this with the oh, cider. Don't give away a secret, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Sorry, Joe. Um, it was phenomenal. And yet again, it was the minute I tasted it, I said, whoa, 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 give me a second. I ran and I got a bottle of cider. I said, you've got to try this. Just have a mouthful of this with this. And it, and it worked. Um, so, yeah, there's different pairings for everything. Um, with the, the autumn that we had, I really enjoyed the figs and the cheese and things like that. Um, a fresh salad I find is really nice too with the summer one which was a Moscato I remember we had a uh, I think it was a lamb spit and an orange and fennel salad and stuff and it just everything popped it was just amazing um, and then when you get into your wintry ones I'm, I'm a rib girl so uh, it's all your low and, slow, low and slow smoking isn't it yeah. <laughs> um, and glasses whatever it hasn't broken <laughs> that's, that's about the rule around the house <laughs> milk bottles yeah. no no we, and we stay away from the kids' plastic cups. <laughs> Every now and straight out of a beaker or a um, test oh, tube. I have drank out of a test tube and beaker that often now that it's kind of hilarious. But, not, um, not the glass of choice, though. It's, it's, it's not what we drink out of it, only when we're uh, sampling the barrels. So where can people... Uh, we've mentioned a few of the bars that people might be able to try your beers and so on. Um, we're talking good bottle shops and uh, venues around Melbourne and in Ballarat as well. Yep. Yep, and definitely. So we're in probably about, I think, 25 different places down in Melbourne, uh, about six or seven up in Ballarat. And we've got, I believe, eight interstaters on board now. And uh, we're in the middle of doing up our website. Hopefully we'll be ready for gabs, but we have just updated our stockers on it. So if you get on there, you can actually have a look where we are. Wonderful. And also, you are at the Gabs Festival for yep. this year. Good Lord. Up, which is, yeah, deep, deep breaths all round. Yep. I'm panicking already over that one. Yes, we are. It should be fabulous. Really yeah. excited about Because I've actually, as a just as a consumer, never been to Gabs. Yep. So um, it's going to be a super exciting uh, few days. It's going to be hard Looking work as well. <laughs> no, no, no. no. I've been known to disappear when it hits that point. I'm going to go build relationships. I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep pouring. It's all good. And anything else in the pipeline that's coming up that you're excited about? 
So probably the big one is uh, the release of the, um, which I think we touched on before about the release of our first core product. Um, yeah. That's been a, a while in the making and something that we've wanted to have for you know the people that really love what we do and you know want to have something year round that's available. Um, the artwork on this one, I'm really excited about. I'm not going to give too much away, but when we actually rang Craig with the idea. Um, we sort of said to him, look, you know, we know we've got to get our accounts up to date, this, that, and the other. He goes, oh, no, I'm on it. I'm drawing it. I'm like, great. He was just <laughs> as excited as we were. So which, you know, always, you know, helps build up that, uh, that you're on the right path. He could see the exact image that we could see. And, and for us, we've, we've said we want to stay true to all that, you know, that it's, it's music, it's art, it's food, and, and really keep that in there. Um, we've got our... Um Autumn and our winter in bottle now, so I'll be freaking out over those for the next <laughs> two or three months. <laughs> yes, he'll be panicking running around in circles yeah. while we're planning for Gabs. Yeah. And um, yeah, we've got uh, Dr. Morse, we're doing uh, something pretty big down there for um, that's for the Good Beer Week. Mm-hmm. We've got, I think, that's in the CBD, isn't it? Dr. Yep, Morse, yeah. uh, yep. Fitzroy, Close. Johnson Street, yeah. isn't it? Oh, Johnson Street. Yep, yep. yep. so that's uh, I think we've got a six or eight t- takeover down there. Um, Black Hearts and Sparrows, who we've um, you know just paired up with probably eight months or so ago um the the girl in there that does their buying cherry she's just beautiful and she has an absolute it's really really nice because for for someone that has a few stores we were sort of a bit unsure around it and this um you know she just has the most amazing ethics and, and passion and everything for it yeah, and they're still family family owned as well and they're yeah they're, uh, they're getting bigger but they're we were sort of you know because it was the first time we sort of dealt with anyone we were in mccoppins which you know they're still part of the thing but they're separate sort of thing they're still more family and I was like ah but they've just been lovely and we're doing a a food thing with them for the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival which is super exciting so we've got for us um, because this has been our first year kegging it feels like a lot um, a a whole lot but we're really excited I mean the whole of April and May is pretty much you know it's a write-off from here on in we're just going to go and uh, get a nap in uh, June (laughs) (laughs) so enough to keep you busy correct which is very exciting for us as consumers as well because you know I've tasted a couple of the products today which are pretty sensational they're really pleasant and really enjoyable and definitely will be revisiting as well I'll put the link uh, for website and so on and socials in the show notes for any listeners who'd like to click through I'm sure there'll be quite a lot but thank you so much for talking us through your beer journey and just lovely to share your passion and cool. it really comes comes across so thanks Ed thanks Fiona been a pleasure. Welcome. thanks for being thanks for on the Chosen Brew ah blended and bottled for your pleasure so <laughs> <laughs> good catchphrase in there well done honey hooray <laughs> I love it that's the best sign off <laughs> I've ever had on the podcast so thank you. I might just sound uh, crop that and put it on the end of every episode yep. from now on in beautiful <laughs> I think I might have been copywriter but you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> fabulous there's no money here <laughs> thanks So that was it. Dollar Bill Brewing from Ballarat, Ed and Fiona. What a fun episode that was. I've got to say, I just had a fun day that day. I got the train from Melbourne to Ballarat and as someone with two young children, it was just nice to sit and not be bothered. I was bothered by the ticket inspector once and then it was peaceful, which was very, very enjoyable. 
thanks so much for Ed and Fiona as well for spending the time and being so hospitable and also the Mallow, Dallas and Anthony there were really kind to us as well and what a great venue the Mallow is. is my first time visiting there and the selection of beers and particularly great tap beers but have a look in the fridges there's some really spot-on beers in there so make sure you make that trip if you go to Ballarat and say hello to Dallas and Anthony there as well unfortunately they can get to the coach house which again is a is a great Ballarat pub with great beers but I'm sure I'll be back in Ballarat soon enough At the time of recording, we have got a very exciting time coming up. It's Good Beer Week very soon with lots and lots of exciting events. If you bump into any brewers or anyone who you would like to be a guest on this show, if you can have a chat with them, some of them know about the podcast, some of them don't. I know that's amazing that they don't, but let them know. I got in touch with Ed and Fiona from Dollar Bill because one of our listeners, Daniel, Uh, had a chat with them at the Ballarat Beer Festival and basically we made a connection through that so it's like a it's like a really low rent version of Tinder if you meet somebody in the beer industry who you'd really love to hear their beer journey and their six beers that changed everything let them know about the podcast let me know I'll get in touch with them and we'll make it happen as always you can follow The Chosen Brew on Instagram Twitter Facebook and leave reviews that would be great uh lots of people have left reviews already on various different platforms it does really help to create visibility and get more people listening to the podcast which hopefully will result in us all drinking better beer i'll be around for good beer week and gabs so if you see me or hear my voice please do say hello i always keen to chat beer with people and uh, meet listeners as well and if you haven't already check out the revamped chosen brew website it's thechosenbrewau.com on there you can stream the episodes direct spotify and you can get i've got a mobile version so you can use it on your mobile device it's really easy to stream the episodes uh, straight to your device as well and there's a bit of information there as and the ability to uh, get in touch with me as well but until next time which i'm sure we'll have another cracking episode of the six beers that changed everything thanks so much for listening it was such a fun episode i'll let's sign out with fiona and i'll speak to you soon ah blended and bottled for your pleasure (laughs) 